Hello, and welcome to another audio edition of Burnt Toast. This is a newsletter where we explore questions and some answers around fat phobia, diet culture, parenting, and health. I'm Virginia Soul-Smith. I'm a journalist who covers weight stigma and diet culture, and I'm the author of The Eating Instinct and the forthcoming Fat Kid Phobia. And today I'm really pleased to be chatting with Dr. Rachel Milner, a psychologist who specializes in eating disorders outside of Philadelphia and Pennsylvania. Welcome, Rachel. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, Before we kind of dive into our big topic, why don't you just tell our listeners a little more about yourself and your work and your your focus? Yeah. So, I mean, as you already said, I'm a psychologist um, outside of Philadelphia. I'm in private practice here, and I work primarily with folks who are dealing with eating disorders, disordered eating, um, those wanting to heal their relationship with food and body, do a lot of work around anti-fat bias and weight stigma, um, and frequently talk about, um, you know, quote-unquote atypical anorexia and weight stigma in the eating disorder field. Yeah, and you have a really awesome Instagram that I will link to in the transcript, Dr. Rachel Milner, where you post really great content about all of these issues. Um, and that's actually what inspired you. I mean, I've interviewed you. I'll also link to the New York Times piece I interviewed you for last year. Um, so folks can see that. But yeah, what I wanted to chat with you about today, what kind of inspired this conversation is an Instagram post you did back in June. And I'll just read the text here. Um, you wrote, the problem with the narrative around trauma potentially contributing to fatness is that trauma is not that trauma never contributes to fatness. The problem with the narrative is the idea that fatness is a bad thing and that healing from trauma will mean, quote, releasing weight. That part is rooted in anti-fat bias and untrue for the vast majority of people. And I sort of had a real like, yes moment <laughs> to reading this. And I think a lot of folks probably this resonated with and then other folks this might be sort of a confusing, you know, there are a lot of misconceptions about the relationship between trauma and weight. So I thought, you know, there's just a lot we can unpack here. Um, so first, I would love to hear a little bit of the background of what inspired this post for you. Yeah, and I think, you know, there is so much nuance here. And one of those topics that I think does bring up a lot for people, um, which I think is because of all the weight stigma, know that when we start to like walk into a conversation around trauma and fatness, given the weight stigma and the culture, of course, we all kind of go into high alert and Mm -hmm. kind of brace ourselves for like, okay, what's coming next? Um, What prompted this um, Instagram post was, you know, just sitting with clients and hearing their stories and feeling like um, their stories aren't being told and that wanting to name that for some people, there might be a connection between fatness and trauma and the other side of that narrative that's so harmful around, you know, if we heal trauma, then somehow, you know, we're magically not going to be fat anymore Mm -hmm. um, is something that's projected onto my clients all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I was just thinking about these conversations that I have in my office all the time or my telehealth office these days (laughs) that, that are never told. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I've heard this from readers before where they almost feel like they're being a quote, bad fatty. If they say, you know, I think my body size is related to this experience I had, but also that really denies their truth and, you know, makes it difficult for them to tell their story. And so 
but then there is all this sort of, yeah, I mean, there's just, it gets really messy. It gets really messy. So I guess, you know, for folks who are kind of newer to this conversation, um, it might be useful to start by talking about, yeah, what are some of those, those relationships you're seeing among your clients? You know, how does trauma sometimes relate to body size? What scenarios are you kind of referencing here? Yeah, well, the stories that I hear a lot of times from my clients is that um, when they were going through trauma, particularly, you know, childhood trauma, although I think it's also true for people who have experienced trauma as an adult, that oftentimes food is what's available to cope. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if somebody is in a home where they're being traumatized or, you know, a child who doesn't have access to, you know, therapy or other ways of getting support, food is often available and it's a really effective coping mechanism. You know, it can be really helpful mm-hmm. to eat in response to sadness or pain or suffering. And for some people, you know, that eating may lead to weight gain, not for everybody, but there's, you know, people who that the eating, you know, in response to emotions over time might lead to them gaining weight. Um, you know, I think for a lot of people who have trauma around weight stigma and are put on diets at a very young age, we know that dieting often leads to weight gain. And so I think a lot of my clients talk about what it was like to have trauma around weight stigma, being told that their body was wrong at a young age and being forced to restrict their food intake, which then, of course, leads to binging and leads to weight gain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What about another narrative um, I often hear about and, you know, like Roxanne Gay wrote about in Hunger is this, you know, she framed it as almost in some ways more of a deliberate decision to eat as a form of protection. Um, I don't know, you know, what your thoughts are on that, if that's something you also see coming up for folks. I do. I think, you know, I appreciated Roxanne Gay's book so much because I think this is a narrative that doesn't get told. Um, and I'm really of the belief of we need to believe people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when people share their story, we can trust that what they're saying is true and real. And so, you know, when I have clients who talk about intentionally gaining weight or thinking about how fatness as a way to be protected from, you know, the male gaze, I, you know, that makes a lot of sense. And we still know that that's rooted in weight stigma because, you know, this idea that if we're in bigger bodies, then, you know, men are not going to be attracted to us is, you know, rooted in weight stigma Yes, (laughs) and is real, right? I mean, this is the water that we swim in and doesn't mean, you know, there's many people in fat bodies who are in wonderful relationships and have lots of people that are attracted to them. But, you know, I think this idea, especially, you know, I hear a lot with my clients who have had sexual trauma that there's a feeling of protection Mm -hmm. when their body is bigger. Right. Right. That somehow they can hide more that way. Um, yeah, which, yes, again, there's the layers of fat phobia built in right into that, but it's also a sort of understandable path to seek when you're struggling in that way. Yeah, and we know that, you know, when people either lose weight or their body is smaller, that especially for those socialized female, that oftentimes their body is sexualized, mm-hmm. it's put on display, 
people feel free to comment and, you know, quote unquote compliment. Right. And, you know, that can be really vulnerable yeah. for people, for anybody, but especially people who have, you know, a trauma history, especially around sexual trauma. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's really important to articulate. Yeah, it's just the more you're talking about this, the more I'm realizing how weight stigma plays into it just right from the beginning for so many folks, you know, navigating trauma and weight, like even, you know, as you were saying earlier, that the sort of idea of emotional eating, getting demonized, um, that's something we talk about a lot. I've certainly experienced myself, you know, there's this sort of like, we re- we praise the idea of people losing their appetites while undergoing trauma, like that gets sort of like celebrated as if that was like a good coping strategy when actually that's quite alarming and quite, you know, um, not, you know, that weight loss that can result, you know, that again, doesn't always result, but sometimes results isn't a good thing. Um, you know, I remember when my daughter was, um, you know, she went through a lot of intensive medical experiences and we lived in a hospital for weeks and months at a time at various points. Um, and people would always sort of encourage me, like, get out and go for a walk. Like, that's you're like what you should do is like a healthy coping strategy. And I was like, hey, I can't leave her hotel room, her hospital room. Um, we live here and I'm terrified if I leave, she'll stop breathing. So no, I'm not going for a walk. And be like actually like eating Oban Pan chocolate croissants while I sat in this hospital room for hours a day, like felt good and was comforting and alleviated boredom and stress. And I just remember, you know, through that trauma, feeling like, why is my chosen coping method feeling wrong to everybody around me, you know, and that's weight stigma. It's because they didn't see it as, quote, healthy, because it might result in weight gain, or did result in weight gain. Yeah, Yeah, that instead of being able to see the wisdom in that, that, like, you know, having access to food while sitting in a hospital room is so wise, and that it was comforting. (laughs) If we were neutral about food and body size, then it would be like, okay, bring all the croissants and have as many as you want and comfort yourself and try to get through this really horrific time. Mm -hmm. And instead we, you know, um, hold up some coping mechanisms and, you know, vilify others, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. And I did, I will say for people in my life listening to this, I did have people who supported me on the croissants and understood when I said, no, I really can't, you know, yes, my husband can leave and go for a run. And that's really helping him through this time. But me leaving is not something that will feel like that feels terrifying, you know, and people did respect that. But, but it was, it was tricky to articulate. And it's tricky that when you're in the active experience of trauma to have to articulate your need and defend a need, is like really problematic. Like you shouldn't have to sort of assert to other people that your need is valuable at that point. Right. You shouldn't have to defend it. And even just thinking over the past, you know, year and a half with COVID that probably if we, you know, talk to people, there's some subset of people who have coped by eating and there's some subset of people who have coped by restricting and you know we don't name the restriction as harmful Mm -hmm. and we praise it when really you know restriction weakens your immune system and makes you more vulnerable to stress and the impact of stress but instead what we say is oh if somebody's restricting and losing weight that that's a positive thing right Um, we don't name the harm of it where you know eating to cope is makes a lot of sense and is actually, you know, 
way more beneficial than restricting. Yeah, 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 because it's at least meeting a necessary physical need um, and getting you through. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, so, okay, so we see the, the weight stigma showing up in the sort of active trauma space and as people are kind of navigating coping strategies. And then we also see it, you know, quote, I wanted to want to say after, because of course trauma can be a long unfolding process, but in terms of how these fat bodies are then pathologized by the world, right? So talk a little bit about what is often the approach to when, you know, in whether it's an eating disorder treatment or in trauma therapy in general, when, you know, providers encounter someone in a bigger body and the focus goes to weight loss and why that is not actually going to help with the healing from the trauma. So what I often hear and see from clients is sort of, you know, there's two paths that come up the most. Mm -hmm. I see clients who went to therapy are in a fat body and the provider made an assumption that because they're fat, they must have had trauma without even assessing or asking questions. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, there's clients who do connect their fatness to trauma. And so they've gone to therapy wanting to talk about their trauma history and sometimes also starting out in therapy saying, and I would like to lose weight Mm -hmm. or just not even, you know, focusing at all on body size, but just wanting to talk about their trauma and what happens is that therapists then say, well, yes, we can work on your trauma. And if we work on your trauma, then you'll lose weight. Because if we've decided that eating in response to trauma led to weight gain, then the belief is if we, you know, heal your trauma, then your eating's going to change and you'll release the weight. That seems Ooh, to be the word that comes that up the phrase, most. I know that it's phrase so gross. Is really yucky. Yeah. Yeah. It's awful. <laughs> um, really bad. But it seems to be the one that my clients hear wow. quite frequently. Um, you know, and I think that people are in fat bodies for endless reasons, mm-hmm. right? Like there's so many different reasons and we don't need to know them in order to know that promoting weight loss is harmful. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if somebody is fat because of trauma or for any of the other reasons that influence body size. It's not like diets differentiate, right? It's right. not like is that one diet says, oh, okay, this is, this person had trauma, so this diet's effective, but this person didn't. totally see the trauma diet becoming some new creepy oh trend God. on Instagram. Um, I know, it's frightening. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise, it's probably out there somewhere. Yeah, right? The, like, intermittent fasting to heal your inner child or something creepy. Oh, dear. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it seems like it's just so missing the point because it's not helping people work on, you know, processing what's really happened to them or, you know, sort of like figuring out what they really need. It's like solving this problem that's, yeah, as you say, possibly related, possibly even completely unrelated, um, not actually a problem at all. <laughs> and like giving them this other thing to focus on and then measure their quote success based on whether they can control it or not. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's so important to name really clearly that fatness is not the trauma. Right. You know, that yes. weight stigma is a trauma, 
Yes. And, you know, clients have all kinds of other traumas that they're coming in with, mm-hmm. but fatness is not the trauma and trying to, you know, quote unquote, fix fatness is actually re-traumatizing. Yes. So if somebody's yes. coming in and a therapist is saying, okay, I'm going to help you with your trauma and I'm going to help you lose weight, they're actually re-traumatizing somebody who's already been through significant trauma. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um. Yeah. So where do you think that sort of line of thinking in the provider community is coming from? I mean, why, why is that an accepted practice when it's so clearly causing harm (laughs) when people should not be practicing that way? (laughs) It's an important question. Um, I think some of it is that providers are still being trained in really stigmatizing programs. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think people are learning about the impact of anti-fat bias and weight stigma. Um, I think, unfortunately, a lot of providers haven't done their own work around it, and so they may still be trying to suppress their own weight or, um, you know, still trying to diet in their own life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think as providers, we're always going to be in process. It's not that, you know, as a therapist, you suddenly get to this place that you've worked through everything. But I think if we haven't done our own work around weight stigma and our relationship with our body, then we are likely to harm clients that are coming in wanting to address those issues. Um, I think the trauma field still supports this. Like I think some of it comes from the eating disorder field, but I think a lot of it comes from the trauma field. Like if you read some of like, you know, the main books about trauma, this narrative is written about mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they are not haze informed right, books. Right, and right. so if you don't already have some footing in health at every size and you're looking towards just a trauma book to read or to learn about, that narrative is going to be reinforced. Yeah. And it also just makes me think about how much our, our sort of like internalized vision of healthy or recovered or, you know, happy is intrinsically linked to thinness, right? Like, so it's like we view if, if someone achieves weight loss, however temporary that's likely to be, you know, um, and no matter what they have to do in order to achieve it, like, we're going to view that as quote success because that's, that narrative is so embedded in our culture and we're not going to look deeper than that. We're not going to see that that again, isn't actually dealing with the underlying issues. Um, and do you think also there's a degree to which the underlying stuff feels harder, you know, that it's that, that work might be scarier to people and going on a diet feels like, well, this is what I can control. So let me do that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that all of us have been socialized to believe that weight is under our control and that, you know, if we can just find the right diet and lose weight, then it's going to solve other problems. And I think there's so many providers who reinforce that. Yeah. Yeah. And the science that's getting done is reinforcing this too. I mean, I was looking at a couple of studies that were done recently on adverse childhood experiences, and it's all trying to to document this phenomenon. It's like 
adverse child experiences are associated with an increased risk of obesity in early adolescence. Apologies for using the O word. I'm quoting the fat phobic research. Um, but, you know, and there's several others I'll link to in the transcript where it seems like the goal of this research is to say we should worry about childhood trauma because people might get fat from it as if that is the outcome we're worried about, not the trauma. And yeah, I'm just curious for your thoughts on that research. I think we see it, uh, the similar thing happening in research on childhood poverty and childhood hunger. Like if, if fat is the outcome, then it's really bad. Yeah. I mean, I think that we want to believe that research is objective and neutral and the truth is that it's not right i mean these the questions that are being asked in these research studies are inherently biased and they're already coming in with a belief and so they've already asked a question that they think they know the answer to um no i didn't i would love to sit down with somebody like um Deb Burgard or Mm -hmm. somebody who's really great at like pulling through statistics because as I just am glancing at this research, I'm not sure that there's actually a difference between the percentage of kids who are in higher weight bodies in this study and they're connecting it to adverse childhood experiences and just the percentage of kids who are in higher weight bodies in general. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I'd be really curious for, you know, somebody who's really great at statistics to kind of pull all of that apart. Yes. Yes. Um, That's interesting. I want to look into that more too. Yeah. Because if it's like, we're trying what it feels like in a way is that they're looking at the quote childhood obesity epidemic. They're saying kids are in bigger bodies. Let's find this explanation for it. And then that's a way of pathologizing the fact that kids come in different sizes. Like that's, you know, then that if you've decided all those kids are traumatized or broken in some way, now you've explained it to yourself, which is, mm-hmm. yeah, a pretty fat phobic way of going about the problem. Right. And yeah. it's like you said, I mean, you're identifying then fatness as the problem. Like right. how right. about if we identify the problem that so many kids have <laughs> childhood <laughs> trauma? <laughs> Yes. Yes. I mean, like this idea that, you know, a kid's coming in and identifying that, you know, they've had a history of physical abuse, sexual abuse, and the thing that these studies are worried about is fatness. Like, I mean, it's just so harmful. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's scary, right? I mean, it's scary that this is how we're responding to kids body size and to trauma that like the thing that these studies are focused on and asking questions about is how do we you know make kids not be in bigger bodies right and ignoring the like how do we protect kids from being physically and sexually abused right right no absolutely I mean it's a really similar thing that played out in the childhood hunger research which was like in order to get funding and attention on childhood hunger and childhood poverty, there was a huge effort to document the connections to higher weight. And it's like, do I really need to explain to you that you should care about kids being hungry? Like, right. <laughs> does that, like you needed some other outcome. You needed to make it about fatness in order to care about this problem. We couldn't just care about feeding hungry kids. Like it's, it's mind blowing. Um, and yeah, it feels very similar. Um, this also feels very tied to this conversation, you know, this is an older conversation about whether, quote, obesity should be classified as a disease. And 
you know, a lot of folks who were in favor of that argued that it would reduce stigma if we could understand high body weight as a, quote, chronic condition, because you would understand that it was sort of beyond people's control and they needed intervention and support. That has definitely not been the result of classifying obesity as a disease. We know that that has only furthered weight stigma. And it feels like a similar parallel here, that if we're trying to understand weight as always trauma-related, you could argue that that's a way of increasing empathy, but it doesn't seem like that's how the conversation plays out. Yeah, I am fascinated by this kind of line of thinking because I really am curious about who thought it was a good idea to classify body size as a disease and like how they convinced themselves that that was actually going to decrease stigma or pathologizing. I understand the narrative they're telling themselves, but I would love to like dig deeper and really pick apart like what actually is going through their mind when they thought that that was a good idea. Um, you know, of course, labeling body size as a disease was not going to decrease <laughs> stigma. Um, and, you know, I think, first of all, it contributes to the idea, like, when we think of disease states, we think of something that requires treatment. Mm-hmm. And so then you're reinforcing that body size needs some sort of intervention. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that the stigma is there. So, naming it as a disease is not going to reduce the stigma in the culture. Like we actually have to address the stigma, not try to find creative ways to describe body size and pretend that that's actually going to be the thing that's beneficial. We have to find ways to reduce stigma. Mm -hmm. Um, And really I'm just sick in general of the like pathologizing um, expected and typical responses to being in a body, being in a culture that harms bodies. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think this happens with lots of different diagnoses. I I don't think this is um, unique to, you know, labeling body size as a disease, but I think we've just got to get away from pathologizing people and name the problem in the culture and, you know, in the environment instead of saying that body size is the problem. Yes, yes, completely agree. Yeah. And, you know, then on the sort of other side of this conversation, what we sort of started touching on in the beginning that I just want to hit on quickly before we wrap up is that it makes it harder for people to talk about what's happened to them because they're worried if they, if they sort of own their full story that they're going to be pathologized for their weight. And I do sometimes feel like within the health at every size community, we don't do a great job of making space for this story, right? Because we're so quick to want to fight against the pathologizing that then I hear from folks in fat bodies that feel like, but I'm not allowed to be a fat person with health problems here. So I I don't know if you have any thoughts about that, because I'm sure you sort of see that tension often. Totally. And it, it makes sense to me. Like I understand why that's the reaction from the health at every size community. I yeah. think when, you know, you've been oppressed for so long and there's such a difficult time holding nuance within like the larger environment mm-hmm. that anytime there's a narrative that there's a fear is going to increase oppression or marginalization, of course, people want to like 
defend and protect against it. So it makes a lot of sense to me, but what it does create is this um, reinforcing of stigma and silences people. And we want to do the opposite within the health at every size community. Like we want everybody's story to be able to be told. And so I think we have to be able to hold space for these conversations um, because one, they're true, right? Like this is real. Um, these narratives are true and real. There's a ton of nuance within the research around, you know, fatness and health conditions that we need to be able to talk about. And when we don't talk about them, we prevent people from getting help with the things that there actually are interventions for. And weight loss is not one of them. Right, right. But if somebody in a fat body can't talk about whatever health conditions they might be dealing with, then how are they going to get appropriate interventions for whatever those health conditions are? Um, so I think we've got to be able to to talk about it. Yes, yes, that makes total sense. And I am so grateful for how you articulate this nuance and you, you know, have these conversations Um Yeah. Thank you so much for your work and for being here. Yeah. Thanks for having me and having these hard conversations. (laughs) They are hard, but they are really important. And I, yeah, I hope it helps people feel more seen in their own experiences and more like they can, yeah, own their stories. Yeah, so So thank you so much for listening to Burnt Toast. If you like this episode and you aren't yet subscribed, please do that. If you are a subscriber, thank you so much for doing that. Um, And please consider sharing Burnt Toast on social media or forwarding it to a friend. Burnt Toast transcripts and essays are edited and formatted by Jessica McKenzie, who writes the fantastic substack Pinch of Dirt. Our logo is by Deanna Lowe, and I'm Virginia Soulsmith. You can find more of my work at virginiasoulsmith.com or on Instagram or Twitter. I am at V underscore Soulsmith. Thanks for listening.